Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to another exciting episode of Peristyle Podcast. This is a Trojan Blast recruiting podcast with our very special guest, Gerard Martinez, joining us on the line. Gerard, what's up? You ready to talk some USC recruiting? I am. I don't know that I'm a special guest because I'm usually the only one that actually talks on the Peristyle Podcast Trojan Blast edition, but nonetheless, I am ready. We have... uh had Lanny Julius on the Trojan Blast recruiting podcast before too. It's not well, just... Lanny Julius would be a special guest. I would be <laughs> a featured guest, I guess. You're the super featured guest. We're the, the normal guy that we talk to. Our go-to guy. No one knows more about USC football recruiting than Gerard Martinez. So we're lucky to have him on the show and lucky to have him as part of the site. We've been friends for years, even though he won't be my Facebook friend. So just let you know. <laughs> <laughs> No, not Facebook anymore. I've, I've turned Facebook in for Twitter mostly. I, really? I usually get on Twitter more than I get on Facebook anymore. Yeah, no, you, you've you've picked it up the Twitter thing. It's going pretty good. If you want to follow Gerard on Twitter, it's Gmart Live, and if you want to follow me, I'm at Inside Troy. Inside Troy, all one word. You can follow us both on Twitter. We try to drop little nuggets on there, but most of the stuff, obviously, we post on USCFootball.com and on the Peristyle. And Gerard, a lot of stuff in recruiting has been going on. Uh, some big news came over the weekend when uh, USC got a commitment from Kylie Fitz. And our first question is from JD in DC. He said, Gerard, Rivals has Kylie Fitz, Joe Mathis, and Kenny Bigelow all being recruited as strong side defensive ends. Does the recent commitment from Kylie Fitz still leave room for guys like Joe Mathis in this class? It does, and it's interesting because all three of those players could end up playing on the interior of the defensive line as well. They could all end up being three techniques. Kylie Fitz right now is about 265, and he's discussed with the USC coaching staff about moving down and maybe playing defensive tackle in college. So it really depends on you know how his body develops and, and what more weight he's able to put on uh, if he's going to move inside or stay at strong side defensive end. Uh, but really, you know, Kenny Biglow as well, more of a three technique. I don't think he's really going to play defensive end in college. Again, he's a guy that's talked to the coaching staff about playing defensive tackle. And just physically, that's probably where he ends up playing in college. Uh, strong side defensive end, USC has used some big strong side defensive ends in the past. You know, Armand Armstead was a guy that was about 6'5", 295 pounds and played strong side defensive end. Uh, but I think that uh, with, with both of those players, Kenny Biglow, especially, you're going to see him move inside. I think with Kylie Fitz, you know, he'll probably start outside and maybe shift inside. You know, Joe Mathis is another guy that they're recruiting. But really with Joe Mathis, it's less about athletic ability and potential and more about him kind of getting focused with his grades and making sure he's on the straight and narrow and he's prepared for college just off the field and not necessarily just on the field. Uh, He's going to be a guy that's going to, you know, go through the process. He's already taken a couple unofficial visits. He went to Nebraska. Uh, recently and named Nebraska his new leader. And that was after unofficially visiting Michigan and naming Michigan his leader. And obviously this is a kid that already came away from committing to Washington early in the process last year and then backed off of that commitment. So he's a little impulsive and he's kind of going through the process on his own and enjoying it 
I think USC will be there at the end of the day, but it's really going to depend on, you know, him making sure that he's focused in school and he's got his grades straight. And so that's really the work where he needs to be put in and, and that's where he needs to focus on the most. So, you know, we'll see how that develops. But, you know, USC is pretty good right now because they've got two of the three and uh, both of those guys uh, are very versatile athletes. But I think, you know, right now for sure, Kenny Bigelow is a guy that's going to be playing inside. Kylie Fitz has got a potential to play on the inside, but right now is uh, probably a strong side defensive end. All right. Sounds good. Uh, let's move on to a very popular player, uh, prospect for USC, Suwal Cravens, five-star safety, linebacker, uh, overall stud. We got to see him over the weekend. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But we had at least three questions come in about Cravens. Um, Jamal said, Ryan, I pray every day that we get Suwal Cravens. He reminds me so much of Taylor Mays but with better ball skills, and he can tackle a little better. With Coach Sanders here now, he could develop into a beast. Fight on and Oh, yeah, will you post any video from the actual scrimmage? Yes, that, well, that's probably up already by the time this podcast goes up, so you will see some some footage of that. We get to put up three minutes of highlights. Um, Andrew said, is Sual Cravens a lock for USC? And then lastly, John said, between uh, Sual Cravens and Priest Willis, he wants to know who's faster. And do you think with Cravens and Willis's versatility, because they can play, you know, Willis can play corner, Cravens can play linebacker, and given roster limits, does that put these two guys at the top of USC's list for safety recruits this year? So a few different questions there on Sual Cravens, George. Well, first, I, I guess the comparison with Priest Willis and, and Sual Cravens, uh, they are both versatile. Uh, with Sua, the versatility is really immense. He has so much versatility. I think you're looking at a guy that, you know, when I've seen him in person, quite frankly, his offensive ball skills and his ability just to be aware in space really impressed me more than, you know, him playing defense. So there's been a lot of talk, you know, is he a safety, is he a linebacker, is he maybe even a running back, or possibly is he a receiver? I think with Sua, it's hard to put him at linebacker just because of his ball skills, just because you really want to see him play where, you know, he has a chance to get his hands on the ball. He would be able to do that a little more at safety, but I think you can't take putting him on offense off the table. Uh, USC right now is recruiting him more as a safety, and that's where he wants to play. From the first day that I interviewed him and talked to him last year, it was really, it was really coming through that safety was the one position that he'd always kind of dreamed of playing. And really he looked at USC as a school where, you know, he followed and kind of tailored his game after guys like Darnell Bing, uh, Troy Polamalu, Taylor Mays, those big safeties. And while he kind of talks publicly and on the record about not really having a preference in terms of position and, and really playing wherever his coaches want him to play, I think that he definitely sees himself as a safety in college. But in terms of just his abilities, as I said, when I've seen him in person, I've been most impressed with him on offense and him doing things from a skill position on offense. When I saw him against Chaparral High School last year, he really blew me away playing receiver. Um, I, I've said it before, and, and, and I'll say it maybe even more emphatically, I think that if he was rated as a receiver in this class and we took playing safety off the board, we just didn't even look at him as a defensive player, I think he'd be ranked you know, one of the top five, maybe top three 
receivers in this class. He has tremendous hands, and he, and he runs good routes. He's fast, and he has a lot of awareness uh, with ball skills. He has, he has a lot of uh, understanding of, of how to make big plays when they count. You know, he's very clutch in that way. He's very smart. He's very cerebral. He's very aware of the circumstance and context uh, from play to play. And that's something you can't really teach. So it's going to be hard. You know, you see a guy that has those kind of ball skills and it's hard to put him over on defense. Um, you know, you can make some comparisons maybe to DJ Shoemate also in that, you know, he plays really well at a lot of positions, but does he play great at one position? You know, there can be an argument there with Sue Cravens. Um, with Priest Willis, from what I've seen, he's a corner. I think that's really his best position. His body physically looks more like a safety. He's about 6'1", almost 6'2", 200 pounds. And you look at a guy like that, you go, oh, he's, yeah, he's definitely a free safety. But I've seen Priest play a couple times now, as well as on film, and he's impressed me playing corner. And not just corner, and we talked about this before uh, when we talked a little bit about the Nike camp, but playing off man and playing in zone, playing in space as a corner. And that's really – you don't see guys – excel playing corner in high school a whole lot and his break on the ball his speed um i think he's he's deadly i mean he's a guy that i would say has you know in the realm of the potential of a guy like maybe patrick peterson a a really a, a bigger corner that you think physically could play safety but really his skills are better for a corner. And I think so for him, while he is versatile, and I think it's good for a class for USC to be able to have that versatility because they're going to want to take, you know, five defensive backs in this class. So you can have, you know, Priest Willis, maybe he's a corner, maybe he's a safety, and you're able to recruit around him. Um, and that really works to the advantage of USC being able to stack the defensive backfield. Uh, but in terms of where they actually end up playing, in terms of projecting where they play. I think Sua, it's really blurred. It's hard to really figure out what his best position is going to be. I I think he eventually does end up at safety because I think that's where his passion is and he wants to play. But again, I think that skill-wise, he could definitely play offense and be very successful. Uh, Well, we got to see him, I mentioned, uh, over the weekend. It was the IMG uh, 7-on-7 Madden 7-on-7 tournament. And uh, their team uh, from Marietta, they were the frat boys, and uh, coached by Chris Claiborne, so it was cool to see him out there. He actually looked more like a lineman right now than, uh, than the Butkus Award-winning linebacker he was when he was at USC. But uh, Claiborne was there. I'm sport- sure he's going to be happy to hear that, Ryan. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. He's a cool dude, though. Um, played in his golf tournament, I think, last year or something with uh, Daryl Rideau was out there helping him uh, run that stuff. But he had a big you know, USC shirt on. Uh, really helping uh, Sue Al Cravens out you know, quite a bit, and there was a lot of communication going on. They made a nice... Uh, run in the playoffs there uh, at the tournament. We got to see, he was, you know, all the guys that I followed down there, uh, tried to follow most of the guys that had USC offers, and he was the only one that was playing both ways. They didn't have a lot of guys on their team. Uh, he was playing, uh, uh, you know, a split, a split end, you know, wide receiver out to the left side most of the time. And then he was also playing uh, safety. And I saw him get his hands on a number of passes when he was playing safety. One really nice pick, he leaped in the air and, um, took it. There was another one. I think it was kind of low, and he almost had it, and he, he just dropped it at the end. He was diving forward to get that one, but made a ton of catches, caught touchdowns, caught two-point conversions, and um, his ball skills really did look impressive. And there wasn't any kind of issue with when he got his hands near the football. It seemed to be locked up. So, like, when you talked about him playing wide receiver, I mean, he, he looked like he had the skills to do that. Obviously, it's seven-on-seven. Seven. That's not with pads, but 
he's got the size and it looks like he's got the speed and certainly he has the ball skills like you said i mean did what did you see when you saw him out there he certainly impressed me even though you know they're in shorts and t-shirts and stuff and not really they have the little they have the little like old school helmets on their team wore those little uh, leathers on a helmet thing but what did you think of Suell over the weekend I thought he was very good. I think, as you said, it's it's not real football, but there are aspects of football that you can take things from watching seven-on-seven. Seven and, and when you see a guy, you know, be able to catch the ball and, and be able to run routes and be able to kind of know where he is in space and, and where the defenders are and how to get open, he does all those things. And, you know, the comparisons with guys like Taylor Mays and, and Darnell Bing, you know, Taylor Mays played running back in high school and was okay. He was a pretty good running back, but more because of his athleticism, because he was 6'3", because of how fast he was. Uh, Darnell Bing was a Pop Warner legend um, playing running back in, in when he was really young, but in high school at Long Beach Poly, he really didn't play a whole lot of running back. You, when you look at Sua, he's far more productive as an offensive player in high school than any of those players that had played safety that you start to bring up names, at least with USC. So he is a guy that really can do both and again, it's one of those things that, you know, he does so many things, you kind of try to hone in on, you know, what is he going to be great at? You know, what's that one thing? Um, you know, the DJ Shoemate kind of comparison comes up again, where when we watched DJ Shoemate in high school, you look at him, he was six, about six foot, you know, 210, 215 pounds. And a lot of people thought, well, you know, he's going to be a great linebacker, or maybe he'd be a great strong safety. But it just wasn't in his mentality. DJ Shoemate just, you know, instinctually wasn't a defensive player. So they put him on offense, and he was coming in as a receiver, but he was kind of stubby for a receiver. He wasn't really a natural, pure receiver. So then you put him at running back, and then you try to put him at fullback, and that kind of thing happens because you're trying to find a spot that kind of lines up with his mentality as well as what he brings to the table physically. And so that's the same thing that, you know, uh, uh, Sua Cravens is going to go through. You know, he's about 6'1", about 200 pounds, 205 pounds, pounds he's certainly not the behemoth that Taylor Mays was Taylor Mays was you know I mean he was like 235 pounds 6'3 he was very imposing physically um you know even T.J. McDonald is is pretty big guy physically you know he's about 220 pounds 6'3 you know Sua is in that 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 you know that that weird height and weight where he can really play a lot of positions. I mean, he could play running back. Um, you know, he could play receiver. When I saw him play receiver, I think the first comparison I made was, you know, he looks less like Taylor Mays and more like a Keenan Allen, or in that number twenty-one making these clutch catches on third and twelve. I mean, he made some huge catches. Granted, I will also say that he made a huge catch on an interception that he brought back for seven to seal the game against Chaparral that night. So, you know, he is a clutch player, and he does it all over the field. And it's just going to be one of those things that, you know, as he develops physically, is that going to kind of push him towards another position? You know, he's got a ways to go. He's only 16 years old, so he's actually young for his class. So he's going to develop more physically. He's going to get bigger. I could see him being 210, 215, and that kind of changes things as well. Then you start to say, eh, you really don't want to put him at receiver. You want to use that physicality either at running back or you want to use that physicality at maybe strong safety or linebacker. Again, with his ball skills, kind of shy away from linebacker and you know Brian Bonifee and I talked about this a couple weeks ago just about him and and how good his ball skills are and you kind of feel like maybe you're wasting that playing your linebacker maybe get a little more out of that playing safety and you can use him as a strong safety you can move him around you can really play him all over the field and it seems like that's kind of where USC is leaning towards there's still that opening hey you know if you play running back and maybe you're really successful and we like your ball skills and we can put you in space and we can do some things with you at running back but I think you know with his 
his preference right now being safety and maybe, you know, his body starts to build in a little more to being a defensive player, that's where he ends up. All right. Well, thanks for that. Uh, let's see. And the question was, is he a lock for USC? Oh. There's never locks, uh, especially in May, which we're actually we're still in April. And we're not even in May yet. I'm thinking May evaluation period, so I'm already in that mindset. But it's <laughs> April. There are no locks. Um, you know, I think USC's in a great position for Sewell Cravens right now. Um, he's probably going to take some official visits even after he commits because I have a feeling he's probably going to commit sometime during the summer. Um, but the process is still going to go on. So it's going to be one of those things that, you know, we'll kind of wait and see what happens in January into, you know, February. But uh, USC's in a really good position for him right now. Okay. Andrew actually had a follow-up. He was the one that asked about being a lock. Do you think, who do you think the next recruit to commit to USC would be? If I had to guess, I would say Justin Davis, the six foot, two hundred pound running back from Stockton, um, mainly because he's given a timetable for when he wants to commit. And he wants to commit before the end of May, and he's got two unofficial visits still in front of him: one to Cal, one to Washington. And you never know with an unofficial visit. Sometimes that puts things in, in a kid's head, and he goes to Washington, and he relaxes Washington, and then he starts to get a little confused, and he may delay that announcement some. But I think he's very comfortable with USC, and USC, I think, for a while now has been uh, kind of his unofficial leader. And I, I think they're in a real good spot for Justin Davis. But you never know. There sometimes can be you know, an offer given during the May evaluation period between now and the end of May, and there might be a guy that gets that offer. And um, bada boom, bada bing, uh, you know, he decides to commit and sneaks in there uh, before a guy like Justin Davis commits. Kylie Fitz was not supposed to commit until June, which was kind of, you know, he kind of set off record maybe doing it at the Rising Stars camp. He went down for his unofficial visit during the Trojan huddle and just was impressed enough with the environment and just, you know, the atmosphere. He got caught up in it and decided he wanted to verbally commit early. He's a guy that also is going to try to take some official visits, uh, you know, later on in the fall. It's going to be tough for him to take a lot of official visits, mainly because he's going to have to try to get in early and graduate to be an early enrollee, and that means he's got to take some classes during the summer, and he's going to take some added classes next fall to be able to get that in. So it's going to be difficult, you know, going around to various colleges. And, and when you're an early enrollee and you're going December 15th, basically, is the end of the process for you when you sign your financial aid papers, you don't have a lot of time after the season to take a bunch of visits. So that's going to be a little difficult for him. We'll see how that shakes out. But um, I think for uh, for USC fans, it's looking really good recruiting-wise. There's, 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 you know, three or four kids out there that could really – end up committing to USC that are highly ranked that uh, uh, could end up being Trojans before uh, really we get into the thick of the summer. All right. Uh, let's move on. One of the, uh, I guess, some of the breaking news. This is funny when stuff like this happens on Twitter, then our email boxes go nuts. Um, so Elijah Steen, uh, apparently there was someone tweeting about Elijah Steen committing from the class of 2012. So we got all these questions and uh, you can kind of clear this up, but uh, Melvin's like, Elijah Steen just verbally committed to USC and he's a 2012 recruit. Who is he? Any good? Would Steen, would USC re- rather have Steen than safety T. Shepard? Why? Uh, Casey wanted to know, with uh, Steen being out of the 2012 class, how many early enrollees can we have? And it seems like we have a lot of recruits wanting to enroll early at USC. Can we go over the amount of three or two and still have them count towards a class of 13? Uh, Matthew said... Uh, what do you think about the commitment from Steen? What are USC coaches? Why are USC coaches still taking players even though they're above the 75-man limit? What would be the plan to cut down on the roster before fall camp? And then finally, JD in DC, he wants to know what he knew about Elijah Steen. He was 
Unrated last year only had one offer projected as a safety or outside linebacker. How did this guy slip under USC's radar as he was playing in the OC? Um, what do you think about what? Maybe you can give uh, people an update on what's going on with Elijah Steen. All to do about nothing. Uh, Elijah Steen will be a preferred walk-on at USC. Uh, during you'll come in this summer and play next fall with an opportunity to win a scholarship offer, but he will not count towards the 75 limit because he will not be on scholarship. So uh, a lot of that was just uh, fans getting worked up uh, for nothing. Um, <laughs> he's a player that is definitely a good player to get in as a preferred uh, walk-on. There was some talk that he had scholarship offers from UCLA, Cal, and some other schools. Um, I don't know about that. I, I have not verified that. Uh, but I do know that um, he played at a very small high school in Irvine, and was uh, a kid that just didn't get a lot of exposure, but he's a great student. I think he's got a 4.1 GPA, and uh, these are the kind of guys that you want to bring in and be a part of your program. And I think, you know, even if he was a guy that you bring in on scholarship, he's a great guy to have a part of your program because you want kids that that are good kids, that are solid uh, good character guys and guys that can set examples, you know, off the field as well as on the field. And so, you know, while people kind of get worked up, you know, what is USC doing? They don't have enough scholarships. Um, I think at the end of the day, you have to realize that there's a lot of chemistry that goes along with football. I mean, you've got, uh, you know, a hundred guys really that end up being, you know, part of that locker room. It's, it's not just the 85 or in USC's case, 75, uh, but it's, it's everybody that's involved. And the walk-ons, you'd be surprised how much personality and, and how much they can influence a locker room and the vibe and the energy that a team has from week to week. So, you know, you know, I, I think the fans, they got a little worked up there because they, they they know that USC is on the crunch with scholarships and, you know, there's a lot of four star and five star guys they want out there. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, you know, recruiting nothing but four and five star guys uh, sometimes is, is the detriment of your program. And uh, you can get uh, a little greedy and sometimes, you know, all you do is have a, locker room full of egos and so a guy like Elijah Steen you know can really help and and like I said as a as a preferred walk-on it's definitely a steal for USC you know he's a solid player um he he has the potential playing safety or linebacker uh kind of really have to see physically what he's able to do um you know when they when they have uh practice and they they start to do workouts over the summer you know I think speed is going to be what differentiates him from from playing whether he's going to be up near the line playing linebacker or he actually gets a shot at playing safety so We'll see how it goes, but uh, at this point, again, kind of old to do about nothing. We, uh, I've had an email exchange today, Gerard, with one of the parents, one of the players who is a walk-on, and we didn't have him on our roster. I, I made a printable roster for the spring game, and I had all the walk-ons included in that, but our roster that's on the site right now, uh, there's still some walk-ons missing, so I'm going to, you know, we got the depth chart uh, released uh, on Monday, yesterday, so we'll, we're going to update that. We'll update the depth chart, and we're going to update the roster with the official list of the walk-ons that are on the team and all of that. Um, but it's important. I mean, especially with 75 scholarships instead of 85, when you can have a roster of 105 players, you're talking 10 more of these guys. Now, if you want to still have 105, 10 more of them are going to be walk-ons. And if you can get guys like that, who are, you know, players in the program that had division one scholarship offers, it's a big deal. I mean, just getting someone in there that can help out, uh, you know, on the scout team, and who knows, you know, maybe get into the game one day. I mean, USC's had seen plenty of guys that were walk-ons that ended up, uh, you know, playing significant minutes. Uh, Kyle Negretti was a punter all year, and he's a walk-on. So I, I think you can get good contributions, and they can be good character guys and good athletes and, and really kind of help the team. So a guy like that. But it was funny how 
there was so much talk. Oh my God, what's happened? Was it another scholarship offer? It's, it, it's funny how people kind of react like that. And, and the social media makes it happen. If someone puts something out there that's not necessarily true, everyone super reacts and overreacts a lot of times. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And it's just the impact. You know, we're, we're looking at the impact of, of commitments. And everybody knows it's a little bit of a, a domino effect because it's also a great year for safeties for 2013. So when someone in, thinks that all of a sudden there's a ride that's been gone that's missing – uh, a player's taking one of those spots, then they're kind of, you know, confused by it. And obviously they uh, sometimes lash out to some extent, you know, Hey, we, there's all these four star and five star guys that we've got on the 2013 uh, recruiting board. And we just took a guy from 2012 that nobody's heard of, you know, obviously there's a little bit of a question and there's some confusion there. So it's to be expected, but um, again, you know, it was all to do about nothing. Pump the brakes. Is that your, that's what you, <laughs> Pump the brakes. Uh, okay, well, let's move on. We have a question. It's Okay, here's I'll read it. What's up, guys? It's Avery from Georgia again. Thank you wholeheartedly for answering my questions and giving me great insight on the direction of the team. My question today, are I'm hearing rumors that DT prospect Montravius Adams is showing signs of possibly wanting take, to take a visit out to USC. How true is this? He's from SEC country, and what are the chances of signing him? Elaborate on the move by oh yeah so uh, and he wants to he's going to go on that but the the main question about Montrevious Adams Terry in Los Angeles also wrote in wanting to know about the uh, potential visit for Montrevious Adams. Yes, Montrevious Adams is definitely interested in USC and he's spoken uh, openly about visiting USC. Whether it's going to be an unofficial visit or an official visit, it remains to be seen. It's probably going to be an official visit. Um, as far as the chances of getting him out of SEC country, they're not great. You know, obviously you want to get the visit done first before you can really gauge how much interest he has in USC. Uh, he's spoken glowingly about USC, but you come in on an unofficial visit and you spend your own money to come out to USC and maybe come in during the camp. That's more significant. And then you would think, well, you know what? USC's got a legitimate shot at finding this kid. Um, but as of now, a lot of talk, he was going to commit to Clemson early in the process. I think Georgia and Clemson and some of those schools, Alabama is now kind of getting in the mix for him. Uh, it's difficult to get those defensive tackles out of the South. USC has not had much success over the years getting those defensive tackles out of the South. And every year there's offers that go into that part of the country because that's where a lot of the defensive tackles are year in and year out. So in terms of the ratio and success, uh, you have to kind of go with history and uh, history tells us that uh, you shouldn't hold your breath. <laughs> so we'll see how it develops again. It depends on, uh, you know, be, kind of going over the summer. Uh, Leonard Williams is a guy that uh, strong side defensive end. Maybe he grows into defensive tackle, 6'5", 265 uh, from, uh, from, Fort, or from Daytona Beach, uh, Florida. Last year that USC signed, four-star prospect, that was kind of a steal for them. I mean, it, it was really the 11th hour where they had to wait to be able to get him. I mean, he was going to decide maybe to go to Florida, and just at the last minute he decided, no, nah, I'm going to sign with USC, and that was difficult. So, um, you know, it's difficult to get those defensive linemen out of the South. USC sent a lot of scholarship offers to Georgia and Florida for defensive tackles, so it's kind of that shotgun approach, you know, offer as many guys as you can and, and try to get at least one of them. And Montrevious Adams is a guy that's definitely been receptive to USC's interest, so we'll see how it plays out. Okay. Uh, we had a question about uh, Marcus Baugh, and they wanted to see you rate him versus Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick, Junior Palme, Xavier Grimble, and Christian Thomas as rising seniors in high school. 
Wow, that's uh, that's difficult. Um, you know, the funny thing is Xavier Grimble and Randall Telfer were true tight ends. So it's a little easier to kind of rate them with Marcus Ball. When you look at Junior Palme, he played receiver in high school. Uh, he's just gotten to college and kind of blown up. I think he came in, you know, uh, well, at least the senior year, he's playing probably around 230, you know, about 235. Um, and, and now he's about 250, 252. So he's definitely gotten a lot bigger, a lot stronger. Um, he was a skilled guy in high school, uh, really good player, but you could tell athletically he had a lot of versatility as well. Um, a little shorter, a little more of a halfback type guy, um, you know, that 6'3 range. He's not really a, a legit 6'4, 6'5. Um, so he's kind of a hard guy to compare with Baugh directly as a tight end. We haven't really even seen, you know, Junior Pomme play a lot of tight end. A lot of what we've seen is projecting. You know, he hasn't really practiced that much, broke his foot last year. So we've seen him spotty in here during spring ball because he really, you know, he's had some injuries and some hamstring issues during spring ball. So we're still kind of waiting to see the results of the potential that Junior Pomme has. Um, with Jalen Cole Fitzpatrick, now, that's a big tight end. That's a big guy who really, you know, uses his body. Um, he's definitely more of a guy, at least from what I've seen, you want to use in two tight end sets. Uh, he compares well with Xavier Grimble because of his big body. He's not a guy that's going to be a vertical threat really for you as a tight end. Um, I think with Baugh, he compares most with Randall Telfer in that, you know, he has the good size. He's probably about 6'4", uh, uh, upwards about 225-ish. Um, and we, I think he's been, you know, listed at two two ten for a while. He, he's bigger than that, and he's probably about legit six four. So he's got, you know, that that pro style standard uh, tight end body, and um, he's a good skill player. He's not probably as physical as Telfer. Um, he's not at this point the blocker uh, as, as maybe as any of those players. I think, you know, physicality-wise, aggressiveness-wise, um, I wouldn't really rank him up there with any of those guys. Uh, you know, Jalen Cole Fitzpatrick is, like I said, a, a really physical big body. You know, Xavier Grimble's an excellent blocker. He was an excellent blocker in high school. I mean, he killed people in high school playing uh, tight end. Um, and Randall Telfer, you know, surprisingly, even though he's not quite as big as a guy like Cole Fitzpatrick um, or, or Grimble, is an excellent blocker as well. Um, so I, I think, you know, really right now, Marcus Ball, he's, he's a very skilled player. Um, he's more on the side in terms of uh, attributes, his receiving side. He's more of a standard receiving type tight end. Um, and so I would compare him more um, with, with a guy like uh, Randall Telfer. All right. Uh, let's see. We have Melvin wanted to know, since spring practice has ended with the offensive line intact, uh, in parentheses, injury-free. Do you think that the depth on the offensive line now leaves little room for incoming freshmen Simmons, Turek, and uh, Banner to break into the starting lineup this fall? And just so you know, that USC did release a uh, depth chart today. Um, and for the first time, you got to see some of those guys that be incoming freshmen listed on there. And Lane Kiffin in the, during the conference call said that's just – I mean, it's not set in stone, even the guys that they've seen. Those are guys they haven't seen yet. So he really wants to see what they can do in the fall before they kind of find out where they're going to be on the depth chart. But maybe get your thoughts on that, Gerard. Yeah, I think it's going to be wide open. I think spring ball is, is pretty meaningless when it comes to really the grand scheme of things and, and who plays and who doesn't play. I, I think you kind of are dealt you kind of play with the tel the cards you're dealt with in spring ball. You know, you only have so many guys there to work with. Um, you know, what are you going to do with the left tackle situation when you've got Kevin Graff and you've got Andre Walker 
And then you kind of got walk-ons behind that. That's pretty much what you're going to have to play with. So, you know, when these guys start to come in and fall and you've got the freshmen, they're going to put them in there immediately, and they're going to see what they can do. And, and dependent on what those guys do and what they bring to the table is going to depend on how much they play. And so they're going to get that opportunity. There's no, you know, we're set. Uh, we feel like, you know, the offenses, the five offensive linemen that we have that we started with spring ball, those guys are so good and so experienced that really there's nobody as a underclassman that's going to be able to break in uh, to that rotation. That's not true. You know, Andre Walker is not experienced enough and doesn't have enough results in production under his belt to kind of sit back and say, okay, I'm the starting left tackle at USC. Um, you know, Kevin Graff has been around a little longer, so he's probably a little more solidified in that right tackle spot but again it doesn't mean that it's completely wrapped up for him um and i would say that really across the board i i mean i think that you know john martinez played really well last year i think it's gonna be hard to remove him um but you know you look at the the other guard spot and you've got uh, marcus martin who's only you know going to be a sophomore next year you're telling me that you know jordan simmons can't push him for a starting spot i think he can uh, so i think that there's going to be some movement there early in fall camp and you know maybe the fans might get a little uh, too ahead of themselves when you see some of these moves because, you know, again, the coaching staff has to evaluate some of these guys. So that means they've got to play them. And I think that there's not enough uh, real results necessarily on the offensive line for anyone to think that uh, there's not going to be any movement there or there's an impossibility of someone going in there and starting who wasn't a starter last year or someone who wasn't starting during the spring. All right. Makes sense. And then one last thing, Gerard, I wanted to – bring up uh, with the start of the May evaluation period, you did a nice piece um, talking about what the USC coaches did, maybe kind of explain what that is and, and what's been going on with the USC coaches now that they're, they're starting to make some calls and, and reach out to some of the guys in the class of 2013. Well, April 15th was the first day of the contact period, meaning that this was the first day that USC could actually make a call to a 2013 prospect. To this point, USC could only receive calls and can only send letters to these prospects. Um, it's also an opportunity for the coaches to get evaluations for these prospects. Coaches are able to go see a prospect twice during this May evaluation period, which goes from April 15th to May 31st. Uh, so it's actually time for them to be on person on these campuses at these high schools and be able to see these kids and eyeball them and talk to their coaches and just get a feel for how they are as a player and kind of how they're working, you know, in the off season and, and how they carry themselves. And there's a lot of important aspects to that. And it's also, you know, important for the recruits to be able to see who shows up and who's showing them enough attention, especially out of state, that USC is going to go out there and, and go all the way out to Florida or Georgia to go see those kids in person. So it's a very significant part of the process. The phone calls for USC have always been significant. They've always tried to use the motto, if you're not first, you're last. And they've been in on first on all these kids, even kids that are committed to other schools. David Dawson, 6'3", 300-pound uh, offensive tackle from Detroit, Michigan. He's a four-star recruit. He's been you know, committed to Michigan for uh, a few months now. He's a guy that his first call, his only call Sunday, was from USC. So, you know, USC's been going after everybody that's on their board, whether they're committed or not, and talking to these kids and letting them know, hey, look, at, you're a priority for us, and we want to get on you early. We're not going to waste any time. Uh, they went up to see Michael Hutchings today. Uh, they saw Johnny Johnson today. Um, you're talking about a four-star, uh, you know, linebacker from Concord de la Salle and Michael Hutchings that everybody's after that a lot of people feel like could end up being a Trojan before the end of the summer. Uh, Johnny 
Johnson is a guy that, you know, early in the process said that USC and Oregon were going to be his two top schools. He's kind of backed off that now. He's kind of playing through the process. But you're talking about a 5'9", 5'10", 180-pound uh, four-star cornerback who's, uh, you know, maybe the best in the state. I mean, he's a very, very aggressive player, um, very well coached, uh, great feet, um, great balance. Uh, a guy that impressed a lot of people last year at the Nike camps and during the camp circuit. And uh, we're going to kind of see how his recruitment develops. You know, those Fresno guys like to make it interesting. <laughs> so we'll see, you know, how it works out for him. But, you know, USC went to go see him um, today. So they're out there. They're they're on the recruiting trail. And this is kind of where things start to pick up a little bit. Then you hit the summer, and then you got to get that quiet period. And, it, it you know, it, it does that. It quiets things down to some extent. Kids are like, okay, before the season starts, I want to make a commitment. I want to make a decision. A lot of these kids kind of want to put their foot in the door into a class too, and they want to commit, know they have a spot. And then, of course, we in November, December, everything kind of changes and all hell breaks loose and kids start taking visits, and then all of a sudden kids start wavering, and it's like a whole new recruiting process. So at this point we're going to have a little bit of a busy period, and we're going to see some commitments kind of going into the summer. And, you know, this is why a lot of people – are kind of lobbying for that early signing period because there are kids that legitimately want to get things over with and want to be done with the process. And then there are those kids that kind of just want to put their foot in the door and say, well, you know, I'd like to make a verbal commitment so I know I've got a spot. But then at the other side of the, the season and I don't have to worry about, you know, being distracted with my senior year, I can start looking at schools again and maybe start entertaining more offers and, and, and interest in getting on the phone and taking these visits and, you know, getting into the chaos of the recruiting process all over again. So, you know, an early signing period would kind of show you the pretenders from the contenders, so to speak. It would kind of show you the kids that are legitimately interested in ending the process and being done with it and not really having to worry about them anymore from the kids that are just verbally committing, kind of put their foot in the door with something and not necessarily being completely solid in that commitment. So, um, you know, we don't have an only signing period. So at this point, you know, it's just going to be one of those things where we're going to see, I think, a little flurry of verbal commitments coming for USC here up until the Rising Stars camp. Then it'll go quiet, and then we're going to kind of see what happens into September and October when, again, the coaches are going to be able to go in and they're going to go to the high schools and they're going to be able to start evaluating again. You know, usually during the bye weeks they try to get to some of these games and check the kids out again, and you see maybe a couple more offers, you know, go on the board because some kids, you know, have some big-time performances early in their senior seasons. All right, Gerard. Well, thanks very much for uh, coming on the show again. We always enjoy talking some USC football recruiting with you. Good insights, and we'll keep uh, watching the site. Now that spring ball's over, the May evaluation picks up. So like you said, there's going to be a lot of information coming, so make sure you check out uscfootball.com. Read the Peristyle. Gerard's always dropping little nuggets of USC recruiting knowledge on there and helping people out answering questions. So if you can't you can't listen to the podcast all the time, and we can only do this once a week or so. So definitely get on the Peristyle, and, and Gerard will help you out. Truth of the matter is the Trojan Blast is just that. It's a blast of information and some generalities, but uh, if you want the detailed information and the up-to-date stuff, you've got to go to the Peristyle. Yeah, it is, and we do appreciate the questions. Thanks for everyone for uh, sending those in. We love the voicemail. We love the email, podcast at uscfootball.com. We always Enjoy doing those, but like I said, it's only once a week. Gerard's on the board pretty much 24 hours a day, so you can ask him. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, pretty much. It was like, yeah, he's answering questions at 4 in the morning, and people are like, what? What are you doing, Gerard? <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. He does live in, in the Western time zone, too. It's not like he's in uh, Switzerland or something. He's answering questions all the time. You're kind of a night owl, though, right, Gerard? You, you stay up pretty late. Yeah, yeah. I need to uh, – well, you know, you get uh, your interviews done – 
in the early afternoon and then you eat dinner and then uh, just get working on stuff. And, um, you know, there's always things to be done and you always want to make sure that uh, you're on top of the latest and kind of, you know, kind of take a step back from the day and all the phone calls that you make and everything that you hear and then kind of update people. And people have questions at all times of the day and night too, you know, and we try to be spot on with that stuff. It's not like you post a question and then a week later we get to it. You ask a question and there's probably going to be minutes that go by before you're going to get an answer. So it's, um, I mean, it's almost like a live chat. We've always tried to take the peristyle and make it something that's kind of a, leave it, a living, breathing entity that you're involved with, that you're interactive with, and that you know that we're there and, and you, your 995 is, is it's being well you know, well used. It's going to be there, and we're going to be there on top of everything that uh, goes along. And you've got a question, you've got a comment. Um, you know, we'll we'll be there on well, top of it. We're there. Just check it out on uscfootball.com. Click on the peristyle, and you'll see what all the fuss is about. Well, thanks again, Gerard, and everyone else out there. Thank you very much for listening to the Peristyle Podcast, Trojan Blast Recruiting Edition. We'll be back next week with a regular podcast on Monday with Coach Harvey Hyde and the whole group. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 